we get to look at the great standard bearer. I mean, literally, the bearer of the Ten Commandments. Literally, the man that, that saw the face of God. The, the, the very symbol of being God's special possession as an icon for all of Israel of who it is that they represent before the Lord. And here we see his origin story. We looked at his call in Exodus 3 with the burning bush. But now that God has gotten his attention with the burning bush, he is, is now brought into greater attention of what it is that God wants to do. Because God wants to deliver his people. He has heard the cry. He is a God who cares. He is a God with a plan not to plunge them into slavery for no reason, but that was an incubator of righteousness and consecration rather than one of corruption and compromise up in Canaan. There was a lot of K alliterations there. I'm kind of you know, fired up about that. But, you know, if I could just, you know, stream of consciousness this. But, no, but, but God did that. God told Abraham in his covenant to him that for 400 years, 100 years from now, you're going to head down into Egypt and while you are there, you will become a great nation and then I will bring you out and bring you back to the land. It's always been part of God's plan. But when he saw through Jacob and his offspring, the depth of the corruption, think of Judah with Tamar, Judah with the corruption that went on as, as he began to interact with the Canaanites, how God realized if the, if the people stay, in this land, they are attractive to the people of this land. Let's take them somewhere where they are repulsive to the people. That way we will have clear boundaries. And among the Canaanites, the Israelites are kind of a big deal. But not down in Egypt. In Egypt, while they do respect Joseph and the work that he did to save them, and, and thus gives them some special privileges and the land of Goshen, they are nonetheless a repugnant people that need to be sequestered away from the purity of the Egyptians and thereby keeping God's special possession and His blessing intact, uncorrupted, ultimately to be launched back into the promised land, ultimately to be launched into you. All of this is so that you would not have a break in the chain of the blessing that began with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on through the many generations. And now we hear of the end of the incubation, the end of this time of slavery and God's people able to go in and to be able to uh, start to reclaim the very destiny that he has always intended for them. And so we'll pick it up in uh, Exodus chapter 4. But before I do... Remember that God called Moses in Exodus 3, verse 4. Moses, Moses. And Moses begins really well. He does the here am I. Right? The Isaiah, here am I of Isaiah 6. Here am I. And then, you know, they have a, a little bit of back and forth that goes on that's pretty glorious and insightful. And ultimately, when Moses asks, who do I say that you are to the people and he hears a very, really profound statement. Yahweh, Yahweh, I am who I am. He could have said probably what everybody would want to hear. I am who you always dreamed I would be. I am who you wanted me to be. I am exactly tailored to your needs. 
But that is not what God says. And it is not the flavor of what he says. It is, I am who I am. So you're going to deal with this. But you know what? It's going to be for your good to a greater degree than you could have ever known. And so, with that all now kind of laid out, we we pick up on the call that continues here for Moses. And by the way, the title of my sermon tonight is, Here Am I. Send someone else. (laughs) Verse 1. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran away from it. Then the Lord said to him, you know things are probably going to go bad at this point. For some reason, it's like foreshadowing. Right? Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out, took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff into his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, that Yahweh, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, the skin was leprous and it became white as snow. Now put it back in your cloak. So Moses put it back into his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs will listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. You know, you just know it's not going well. Right? It's just just overly polite at this point in time. Right? So, but pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent. Neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. Even though back in chapter 2, when they're arguing about, you know, who did you kill? Who made you judge? All of that. That seems to be going pretty well for Moses as he's communicating with everybody here. But at this point, I've never, you know, kind of had that, that, uh, you know, gift of the blarney, so to speak. Um, I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the word literally means I am heavy mouthed. And it, it was, it was actually used quite a bit even in kind of um, ancient Middle Eastern writings. And one of the theories goes that the reason that we have written speech is because a famous messenger at one point was heavy-mouthed. And as a result of him being heavy-mouthed, he, invite, he invented the, the, the written word uh, to, to make up for what it was that he couldn't communicate as a messenger with his heavy mouth. But Moses here kind of claims the, the heavy mouth. Uh, you know, uh, Isis that, that, that is his here. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? In other words, God is saying, I'm not just the God of covenant in this little agreement we're trying to make one to another here. I'm more than the God of covenant. I'm the God of creation. So if I'm making a covenant with you, I've also created you in such a way that this is a valid covenant that you can actually participate in. I'm not 
some kind of an unfair, capricious God who's going to set you up only to, to see abysmal failure. I created you for this covenant. And, and, and thus, I created the mouth. I created the sight. Now go. Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Now, in my Bible, this ends one page. And it's really interesting then to turn the page at this point. Say, oh, yeah. You know what? He just got a ton of reinsurance from God Almighty. And there's a burning bush in front of him. Like, obviously, there is a transcendent, supernatural break-in to the natural world that is overwhelming Moses at this point in time. Shoes are off, holy ground, solemn gathering, and all of this re reinforcement coming his way. And then Moses replies, But Moses said, as I turn the page, Again, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. God says go. Moses says send. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, Well, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and he'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both you speak and will teach you what to say. Both of you speak and will teach you what to say. He'll speak to the people for you and it will be as if you were, he was your, as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform Signs with it. Oh, didn't you think like lightning bolt is coming? Right? Or, or just like a fireball out of the bush at that point in time. But yet God is so gracious. But I want us to appreciate one other thing. Moses had to write this. And he had to write this about himself. And he had to write this knowing that all Israel would be so eager to continue to hear about their origin story. Their origin story is already rather shaky and suspect with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All of them have, have, have really done something less than stellar and thinking, ah, this is the beauty of who we were at the genesis of us as God's people. But now the great prophet of all prophets, the greatest of, of all that the Jews would, would claim as their great forefather, as their standard bearer, this is his origin story. This is the glory of his call. Got to be encouraged if you're Israel faltering again and again. Because you're thinking, wow. How God, I mean, because it's not going to be too many chapters later where Moses is going to have a raised staff and he is going to vanquish the very superpower of Egypt in the Red Sea and bring about the deliverance of all of God's people. I mean, obviously they know how it ends. They're reading the story. They, they aren't still slaves in Egypt. And the, the amazement of thinking, wow, even, even with that horrible beginning, what it is that God can do with someone because he has such determination to see his will done through you, through Moses, through this. So my first point is the God who calls. And... We probably all think now and even before we were in Christ, probably as we have discussions with people that we're encouraging to seek God, 
We, we often, I often hear, and I often said of myself, yeah, I, I think I'm seeking God. And I think everybody does think to some degree that, yeah, I, I think I am. You know, there's something in me that thinks that there must be more to life than what I see. And yeah, I, I would say that I'm on a spiritual search, a spiritual journey of some sort. And Moses, of course, ends up finding God like no other in, in this in this year. But what it teaches us of the God who calls is that we've got to be careful of thinking, are we really seeking God? Because we don't really seek God. God disrupts and rearranges our life so that He can be known by us. The God who calls. But I think I think of myself when I thought, yeah, I'm seeking God. I also thought, you know, the purpose of my search, as I was trying to kind of make a connection with God, the purpose of my search was, and I, I have some of this written down from 1992, when, when I actually wrote down the idea of, of perhaps seeking for God, is that I believe that some experience of God will serve as a spackling over the messiness of my life. And that the, the holes that had been punched into my life through all of my mess and my shallowness and my compromise would be somehow nicely covered up by a God of my imagination. And he was the God of the gaps, God for my weaknesses. And, and really, once he finished with the spackle work and sanded it down, then I would be the one who paints it. And I would be the one that would then go on with my life and being, you know, thanks God. Now I can finally go on and achieve the goals that I always had in mind to achieve. And I'm going to have the picket fence. I'm going to have the nuclear family. I'm going to have the gravitas at the office. And I'm going to climb the corporate ladder all the more effectively. Because, you know, you gave me that little bit of a, a fixer-upper cleanup that went on there. Good on you, God. But I got it from here. And let, let's go. And I think, you know, sadly, that may have been the way that a lot of us thought we began to seek. A lot of way that many people think that they're seeking now. But it could even be the way that we view God as we hit some real friction in our life. Is that God becomes a means to an end rather than an end into himself. And if God is not an end to himself, if God is not holy ground, if God is not a, a, a sacred introduction into our lives where suddenly we realize my worldview is about to radically change and everything that I understood is about to be busted up to, to a way that I couldn't begin to imagine, then, then, then we, we don't know what it is to really seek. But praise God that in all of our you know, fumbling, stumbling attempts at thinking that we're seeking, He nonetheless brings it. He brings it, whether it's in the form of a burning bush of a person that just seems incomprehensible to us. You know, someone so holy and wondrous and righteous and yet so loving and caring and, and accessible. You know, somebody, a, a person that we can't make sense of that suddenly is brought into our life just as the, the bush was brought into Moses' life here. Uh, or, or, or it's just through thoughts that, that, that can't be reconciled. You know, as the Matrix quote is, you know, like it's like a splinter in your mind. Like, you know, I knew, I thought I understood reality, but there's something that keeps nagging away at me that won't let me have peace 
And that's what this burning bush is to Moses right here. It's a small indication of the God who's about to break into his life in greater fullness. Gets his attention, but once he gets his attention, realizes, wow, what I'm about to do with your life is so much more. You're going to appear before Pharaoh. You are going to be the conduit of deliverance for all people. That's, that's the fullness of the, of the understanding of, of the God that is making himself revealed, the God who calls. But when God calls you, to know him is to get a whole new set of life goals. Top to bottom. Everything changes by the God who calls. All of your priorities are reoriented. Your agenda is rewritten by God. And if they, those things are not, then I don't know if you've actually been called by God. Or if you've just tried to fit a preconception of God, a tame God, into your schedule. And, and oftentimes we, I think, have a, an idea that maybe we've sought God. But all we've sought is a God that will work on my terms. In, in other words, a God that if I'm pretty righteous and I do some good things, then you know what? You probably need to give me a good life. And if I go to church and I give the first fruits of, of all that I earn, and if I have, have new relationships with it, then you know what? You should give me a, a, a really in, integrated, holistically healthy family if I do that, God. Oh, you know what else? If, if I really do make you the priority of my life and even share about you with other people, then probably you need to give me health as well. And, and a bit of financial security. Because I've kind of undermined my reputation for you. So a little something back, right? That, that, that you need. But the, I mean, that's, I mean, that is in no way responding to the God who calls. It is shaping him into the God that, that I actually imagine. And it's nothing more than idolatry on my part. Because I've made a God that is going to serve me rather than a God that I am going to serve. Moses is beginning to, to, to realize this, that what I am encountering here is not going to leave any room for me to have a, pardon me, Lord, um, how about we fine-tune this a little bit? There will be no room for that whatsoever, but it's to his better benefit. And even though there may be times where you're like, you know, God, I know you got these aspirations for me. I, I know that you actually think that I can be used by you to be able to bring Jesus into the lives of people. I can be used by you to deal with these horrific health issues that are going on in my family. I know that I can be used by you to actually bring hope to those who are hurting. But pardon me, Lord, uh, I, I think I'm a little bit lacking in what it is that you actually think that I can do here. And you have a God that says, I did not make a mistake with you. I called you. And yes, you've got some challenges. Yes, you've established some neural pathways that have reliance upon chemicals or images on the internet or affirmations of flirtation. Sure, you've, you've done all of that. But guess what? I am the God who created those neural pathways. I am the God who created your eyes. I am the God who created the sensations. 
I am the God calling you into this covenant and I am the God that will see you through to effectiveness in this covenant. He is a God of creation and a God of covenant, the God who calls. But secondly, let's look at the man called by God. In this case, we, we have a great exemplar in Moses. And Moses is um, the most humble man in the Bible. He writes that about himself. But apparently, he's got some good material to work with. But he writes all of this about himself. And Paul reminds us of our calling when he writes to the Corinthian church that started to think a bit highly of themselves because they had some gifts and they had done some things. And he, he says to them, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential not many of noble birth. In other words, the raw material that God has to work with with all of us, it's not so glorious. And if we think that we've got to be some sort of level of achievement or, 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 or some uh, kind of potentiality quotient that is within us to actually truly be called by God, because we can think, yeah, Moses, he had a personal interaction with God. For us, we got these pages of the Bible of people being called by Jesus. And yeah, there's some universal statements in there about you know, what it is to follow Him and to answer the call to follow Him. But maybe that applies to the, the people more in the middle of the bell curve. I'm more of an outlier over here on the edges here. I don't know if, if Jesus appreciates just what mess that I've got going on in my DNA, in my upbringing, and in my, my uh, group of, of peers. That has brought me to these crazy edges of the. That's what Paul is saying. No, you were all train wrecks. Absolute train wrecks when you were called. God delights in using the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, to, to, to use those, those outliers to be able to, to show those that are kind of in the middle of the normalcy bell curve there that. That these are people that can be used. My, my goodness. If, if we are kind of the, the, the ragtags that have been brought together by the very Spirit of God, it's intentional by God. And praise God that, that we get to be called for some, some greatness like this. This is, this is not like hype pep talk of, hey, yeah, even though you may not think too highly of yourselves, come on, let's go. It's the reality. The very reality of the covenant that God makes with us. A God who created us. A God who covenants with us. And as, as we now consider Moses' response. You know what, God? Thanks. Thanks for the offer. You know what? Kind of cool to have significance. And yeah, maybe my life won't be among you know, those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. That I won't be um, among those who live lives of quiet desperation, but actually know the excitement of, of real engagement, a, a, a beauty to rescue, a, an adventure to live, a battle to fight. I get to have this now in my life. But, pardon me, Lord, but I don't know. I'm, I've always been shy. I've always been introverted. I've never been a self-starter. 
I need to be held by the hand on, on some of these things. It doesn't kind of go my way. And, it, you know, and, and then God brings it in and says, I made you that way. I made you that way. I know this. I'm calling you. I made you exactly the way that you are. And you're going to be all the more glorious having been made this way. The man who calls is made by God in the way that you are when you are called by God. When the scriptures are brought to us in full bloom and when the Holy Spirit is brought to us for regeneration, He is brought to us in exactly the way that God created us. If you were created maybe even one half of 1% better than you are, you may have become so disgustingly arrogant that you would have never seen your need for God. And at the man called by God, train wreck that I may be or you may be, we are exactly the amount of train wreck necessary for us to have a bankruptcy of ability in and of ourselves to, to in any way uh, affect the, the great purposes of our lives and to recognize, if, if not for God, there, there is no chance for any of this. It's quite encouraging that this is the greatest call in the Bible. The most famous call in all the Bible is so painfully embarrassing. You know, it, it's like that movie where you know the guy's going to say the wrong thing again and again. Like, oh, don't do it. Don't do it. And, and yet, this is the great hero of heroes. And then when it comes around again, all right, you get it, Moses? I made you this way. I made you this way. Now go. Let's get him. And Moses is like, okay, thanks, God, for the encouragement. No, I mean, we just read it, of course. It's not like, come on, Moses, you got this go. It's like, um... Just, just do it with somebody else. Ah! Like, okay, now think of your own foot-dragging obstinance at a God who has encouraged you again and again through the pages of Scripture, through discipleship, through brothers and sisters, through the Holy Spirit prompting, again and again, go. Go. You can do this thing. Go. Make a difference. Go. Be a blessing. Go. Share the blessing. Go. Share Jesus. And, ah, you somebody else. You're like, Man, you know what? I, I think God needs to, to write me off. He doesn't write Moses off here. His anger burns against him. And you know what? I'll give him that. I mean, this is a difficult dialogue going on here. And his, his anger may burn against me. And his anger may burn against you as well. But the result of it is not, you're benched. Get out of my sight. But instead, he says this. This, this is astounding, right? This is what he says to Moses. All right. So it doesn't work that way. You, you, you have this handicap. You, you have this inferiority. How about this? How about I put you on a team? If I put you on a team, do you think that'll work? You know, then we, you, can, you don't have to do this alone. You'll have, you'll have uh, a, a teammate to do this with. I think, how gracious is God? Like, what in the world? I mean, never, never, if, if I'm having to never know this story and you have the assignment complete the next part of this story, would this be what happens next? It's like, no, he's going to be so frustrated with him that he writes him off and he goes somewhere else. No, he says, Moses, you, you're still going to be used, but you just need to do it with community. You just need to have a little, you know, side by side, shoulder to shoulder. Philippians 127 for us, one heart, one mind, one spirit, one purpose, that we conduct ourselves in community as we go about living out the life of Christ. 
Uh, that, that's, that's what we need. I think for us in realizing the man who's called, that we, even more than Moses, have become blind to the idea that we're meant to do this in community. Maybe your prayer life stinks. But does it stink if a brother comes over to the house and you go for a prayer walk together? Does it stink if you, if you make a quick phone call and you, you actually you know, pray on the phone together? Isn't it like radically different? And maybe God, when you think that he's seething in anger, is instead putting that teammate into your life so that you can know the glory of fulfilling the call. Moses knew the glory of fulfilling the call. Moses is going to know what it is to stand before Pharaoh. Moses is going to know what it is to walk with fist in the air. A, a, a form of defiance. When they want march out of Egypt, we'll read this later, they will do so defiantly with a high hand, is the way that the Bible describes it. Moses will lead the people with a high hand, two million behind him, out of Egypt. He's going to know that glory. Why? Because God again and again was so gracious to him to say, all right, I've, I've tried to help you in this way. Let, let me go ahead and, and give you a teammate. And you know what? That was enough for Moses. And it seemed that, hey, we, we work as a tandem, Aaron and me, that this thing is going to work out. It's kind of hard at times, but you know, it's good to have somebody else there pick you up when you, you're, you're having moments of timidity or fear. Praise God that that's the case. How about for us, right? I mean, we've been called... But we stink at so many of the things that are the basics of Christianity in and of ourselves. Right? I mean, you know, really making it the priority of your life, right? Even for the teens, make it the priority of your life to read the Bible on a consistent basis. Right? I mean, if, if we were to kind of say, all right, hold up how many fingers uh, representing the number of great quiet times in a week that you've had. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't appreciate me asking that. But... But if you, if you all teamed up and said, all right, this week, this very week, we partner up. We're just going to read through the campaign together. It's, you know what? I, I actually timed it yesterday. It took 3.4 minutes to do the reading of the campaign yesterday. How about we call one another and we read through it? I bet if you did it with a teammate, you came back next week. You would be saying to me, hey, you know that thing that you didn't do last week of like, you know, put up how many fingers for the number of quiet times you had last week? Can you do it this week? Because I'm ready to go. Because it's not going to be one hand that goes up. I'm going to have to have two hands in order to count up all the quiet times that I had in this past week. It's the simplicity of community. And God builds it into the call of, of Moses. But even more so, he builds it into our call. Our praying, our Bible study, our evangelism, our discipleship, our confession, all of that is, is predicated on the idea that we're going to do it together. Amen. Have you not been kind of up to speed on the campaign? Well, in, instead of saying, well, another lightning bolt campaign for me, bring it on God. How about this? It's so early still. It's, it's, what is today? The 10th. Still early as we kind of embark in trying to appreciate the liberation that God gives us. How about tonight, you just grab a teammate and say, you know what, I need to, I need to play a little catch-up here. How about if you, if you join me in my catch-up, and then as, as you help me catch up, we'll go through this together and be able to really live out the, the great purposes of a life of one liberated by God and called by God, and, and to see what happens. 
there's, there's such joy in just simply engaging in devotion to the Lord and fulfilling the very call of the Lord. Praise God that that's, that that's really the case. Um, and then finally, as we, as we consider not just the God who calls and the man who is called, but the weight of the call. W-E-I-G-H-T. The weight of the call. You know, Moses says, ah, I've got, a, I've got a weighty mouth. No, he has a weighty call. That's even more important for him. And the call that you've been given is actually more significant, if you can really fathom it, than the call that was given to Moses. Of all born of, of women, uh, you know, none is greater than, than John the Baptist. But John, all that are, are of the kingdom of God are greater than John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is the greatest of all prophets born of women. We're greater than John the Baptist. That means that even greater than Moses. And even as we look at Moses in, in Hebrews, it, it actually says of him that although he did these great things by faith, he was not made complete. And only through you is he made complete. His work means nothing if all he does is bring a bunch of former slaves to the edge of the Jordan River and bids them good luck as they head into the promised land. That's nothing. That is nothing in comparison to the fullness of God's plan. The fullness of God's plan, the weight of the call that has been given to you is for all of eternity. It is for the new promised land, the new heaven, the new earth. You are going to be a Moses leading people out of a much more dangerous slavery. You are leading people into an astonishing place of real delight with God to see the face of God. The very thing that Moses could not even bear to do. You will be leading people to see the very face of God for all of eternity. Moses looks at us and says, man, everything that I did is going to be so far eclipsed by what they do. I hope they appreciate it. I hope Jesus was enough. I hope the regeneration of the Holy Spirit brings about the keen insight. I hope they recognize, if they could just get their flesh out of the way, what it is that they can do and what it is that they really are doing. This, this Moses character is, is pretty astounding. But God has actually planned, he says, something even greater for you. Let that settle in. Let the weight of that settle upon you. Because what you do with the rest of your days will have much more impact than what Moses did with his 120 years. And whatever days it is that you have, you make that great a difference. But let's not, let's not squander that significance in... Rejection, thoughtlessness, or, or really devaluing who God says you are. And who God says you are is that you are more than kind of a big deal. You're the fulfillment of a lot of big deals. You're the culmination of, of all that he has. And you're his hope for Hampton Roads. This is upon us. We're, we're not ragtags that are... Bad news bears outclassed in every way. We have the Holy Spirit that makes us completed in what it is that Moses always looked forward to seeing happen. 
And so your call is one by Jesus to follow him, to go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God, to seek first his righteousness for your lives, to proclaim his kingdom, to share his salvation, to make known his love, to bond together in unity, to be a living example of the power of the love of God. Let's not cash that in for silliness and smallness. You weren't meant for those things. You're meant for something weightier. You've been called.